Good morning. morning. Haven't we had a great time of worship this morning? Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Phil, and you and your team, and for leading us in worship. And you know, worship is so important because worship just readies our heart for what God's about to give us. And so, I hope you're ready for what God is about to give you. Before we get started, though, one of the things that I want to do is I just want to say, and we do this every Sunday, I want to welcome you, and I want to welcome you especially if you're a guest this morning. Maybe this is your first or your second time. And what I'm asking is that I'm wondering if maybe you're trying to make a decision as to whether or not you want to make Central Community Church your permanent church home. And I just want to invite you, yes, yes you do, okay? Immediately following the service, you can go out and we've got um, um, the, the guest services there and we have a gift for you. And we also, if you have questions or things like that, we want to be able to answer your questions. And I want to welcome everybody who's watching online too. Thanks for coming and worshiping with us today. I know there may be some of you who are watching online and you're trying to decide, could you see yourself in this place? And again, I want to say, yes, yes, you can. So I just want to make sure you know you're invited. All right, so we're beginning a brand new series today. And this series is going to last several weeks. And then we've got three weeks and we've got Thanksgiving and then we've got Christmas and we're in 2023. So it's going to go fast, okay? But the first thing I want you to do is I want you to get out of your seats and I want you to go find somebody you don't know and I want you to tell them, I'm glad you're here. Would you do that now? Go. That's always good, good. Okay. Thanks for doing that. You know what I love about that is that as soon as people get up and start moving, there's this roar that comes about. And I love that. I love that you're taking the time to greet one another and just let people know, hey, you know what? I'm glad you're here. Now, I want to just say to you that there's a reason why we're doing that, and we're going to do that over the next few weeks, because it has everything to do with the series that we're in. But I want you to know is that there are people who are here today for the very first time, and you know what's going to bring them back? It's not going to be me. It's not even going to be Pastor Phil. I know, you're thinking, ooh, that's a pretty big deal there, right? Okay? But I want to tell you something. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be you. Because you know what? people are going to go where they feel loved and where they feel appreciated. And that's why it's important that every Sunday when we come in here, that on our minds and in our hearts that the Lord is putting on us, who is it, Father, that you want to work in my life so I can touch somebody else's life for you? And we're starting a series this week, and it's called The Woman at the Well. That's why it's called So Much More but it's the story of the woman at the well. And so over these next few weeks, beginning today, I want to tell you, you're going to be challenged and you're going to get uncomfortable. In fact, you're going to get uncomfortable today because as we prepare our hearts for going into this story, you need to understand what John the Apostle, the gospel writer of this particular story, is trying to say to us even before we get to the story because in John's mind, everything matches and runs together. 
And so there are things that I want to teach you this morning from God's Word that are going to help you not just to understand the story, but to live the story out. The woman at the well obviously is a woman God didn't like. At least that's what the people thought. You see, the woman at the well had five husbands. She had no children, and she was living with a guy. You know what that means? She was a shamed woman. Now, I want to pause for just a moment, and I want to remind you, you know what the biggest thing that non-believers, you know what the biggest issue they have with us is? That we're judgmental. And you know what? When I started reading this story, when I started speaking to you about this woman, I don't want you to raise your hands, but I'm sure there were a lot of people in here that started labeling this woman. It's what we do sometimes, isn't it? We're not proud of it, but we label people and we judge them. You see, this woman, even by the standards of her own people, the Samaritans, was a shamed woman. And you know how we know that? Part of it is the way she lived her life. She lived her life in seclusion. And in fact, even at the time that we first find her, we see her, is during a time of day when you just didn't go out. So what does she do? She goes out during a time when she's going to have the less opportunity to interact with people. This is a shamed young lady. She knows it. And you know what? She's living it. And then one day, the Bible tells us at midday, around noon, she goes to this historic landmark, Jacob's Well, and she encounters a man by the name of Jesus. You know what the first thing that Jesus did to her? The very first thing. Now think about this. She's been divorced five times. And in those days, a woman couldn't divorce a man. Only a man could divorce a woman. She has no children. She's living with a man. And now she runs into Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Immediately, he does two things. Number one, he instills dignity into her life. And then he adds value to her life. All the while, he is wooing her towards the kingdom of God My dear friends in Christ, in the next several weeks, we are going to learn by watching Jesus how we are to live with people that we don't like, think alike, look like, or believe like in this world. Now, you know what's interesting about this is that I want you to know is that I don't ever come up with sermons. No pastor ever does. If they're listening to the voice of God, God's the one that comes up with all of the sermons. He comes up with all of the, all of the series. And I just think it's really interesting that we're going to talk and learn about how we are supposed to witness to others who don't think, look, or act like we do when we have another election coming around the corner in the next 30 to 35 days. Can I be really honest with you? This means yes. 
I do not want to go through another election like we did the last one. It was divisive. It was hurtful. You know, we had people that left our church because of it. Our allegiance, first and foremost, has to be to the cross of Jesus Christ. And if that is our first allegiance, my friends, you won't have to worry about anything after that. Now, the writer of this story is the Apostle John. John has a very unique style of writing, and you're going to learn about that in the next several weeks. But when John writes his gospel, John assumes something. And what he assumes is, is since this story is written in chapter 4, he thinks you've already read chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, I know there weren't chapters in those days, but what I want you to understand is what John believes is this. If we're now talking about the story of the woman of well, you've already been familiarized with what's happened before leading up to this story. Because as John writes, everything he does leads to the next thing. All right, now, what I want you to know is that John has a theme, okay? And the theme that he has is this. Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, let's say that together. Jesus is the Son of God. And all throughout the Gospel of John, what he does is this. He makes sure you and I realize that when we see the heart of Jesus, we are actually viewing a replica heart of his heavenly Father. Now, one other thing. There's something else that happens here, and I want you to look at the scripture verse here in John 20, verse 31. This is his testimony. Look what he says. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what John is saying is that every story now that he writes in the Gospel of John is a testimony that his heart, the viewing of his heart, you see God's heart in the life of his son. All right, one other thing. The other thing is that John refers to Jesus as the son of man. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, okay, I get that, son of God. Well, yeah, that's his divine nature. Yeah, he's the son of God. Well, son of man, mean, well, that means it's his human nature. No, that's not what it means. Let me show you what it means, okay? Check this out. In my vision at night, I looked. This is Daniel talking. So John is going back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and he's pulling out what is said in the vision that Daniel has. And he says, and there before me was one like a, there it is, son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You know what the Son of Man means? A judge. When Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, he is telling us that he is the divine judge. What does it say in the book of Revelation? 
and you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. When He comes again, He's not coming as Savior, right? He's coming as judge. Now look at this. In John 5, it says, and He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. All authority is His. So here's what I want you to understand. The very first thing that John teaches us, Jesus is the key to the kingdom of God. Jesus is the key to the kingdom of God. Stand with me out of respect for God's Word. As I read from John chapter 4, and I'm going to read just verse 4. It's a very short passage, but you need to know the answer to this question. John 4, verse 4. Now he, referring to Jesus, had to go through Samaria. This is God's Word for God's people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, give me a heart like yours. The things that break your heart, I want those same things to break mine. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, now I told you that there were some things that John does that others don't, and the other thing that he does is I need to introduce you to a word, and the word is sign, okay? A lot of other people call them or refer to them as miracles, but John calls them a sign. You know why he calls them a sign? Because the definition of a sign, according to the apostle John, is this, something supernatural that points to something significant, Okay, please understand that. When John uses the word sign, he's explaining something that is supernatural. It's a miracle, but it points to something else. In other words, everything that Jesus does in his life is a result of him doing something for the Father, but it always points to something significant down the road. Where did Jesus' ministry start? At the wedding at Cana. In John chapter 2, right? I love how John, because I'm a kind of, let's get to the point guy, and John skips all over the, the, the birth of Jesus, and he gets right to Jesus in his ministry. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and boom, we're right into the ministry of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. Here's the second thing I want you to know. As we read through this, you can't think like an American. In other words, you can't think like a Western civilization, I learned that when I went to Israel, and I learned, man, I'm looking at this all wrong. I was trying to look at what the Bible is all about through my eyes, and you have to look at it through Mideastern eyes. And in the Mideast, hospitality is everything. They're known by their hospitality. You know why? Because hospitality brings honor. In the morning, whenever a Jew wakes up, Baruch Atah, you know what they're saying? Bless you. If they say, Baruch, Atah, Adonai, they're saying, bless you, Lord. Why would they start by saying that in the morning? Here's the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. So the Jews believed that the way they represented the Lord was to show hospitality to people. You know how they did that? If you came to their house and they gave you a bowl of fruit 
It wasn't just a bowl of fruit. It was a bowl of fruit heaping. They would pile it up as high as they possibly could. Why? Because they wanted you to feel what it means to have hospitality the Middle Eastern way. When you came into their house, you got the best bedroom. When you went to a restaurant, they paid for your meal because it was almost like you were coming to their house. This was huge to the people. So now you understand a little bit more about the wedding. Remember the problem at the wedding? They ran out of wine. Now there was something in those days called reciprocal hospitality. I want to show you what that is. Reciprocal hospitality, if you invited me and my family to your son's wedding and fed me lavishly and gave me all the wine I wanted to drink, I would do the same for you. So in other words, at this wedding, this family of Jesus, their friends, okay, they were invited to this wedding probably because they were, they were invited to their son's wedding. So here's what that means. It means that if I invite you to my son's wedding, and I feed you and I go over the top to make sure you feel hospitable, you better do the same to me. And if not, there's three things that happen. Number one, you are shamed. And you know why you are shamed? Because you have just proven to me you can't provide. And so from this point on, no one in this community will ever come alongside of you and allow an arranged marriage to happen. Well, it's not a big deal if you don't have any more children, but if you have sons or you have a daughter, you're in trouble. You know what the second thing is? I just sold hospitality and you didn't show it back to me. Guess what? That's grounds for a lawsuit. But there was a third reason, and I want to make sure that you understand this. In these days, wine represented joy, both figuratively and literally. So if you ran out of joy, guess what? You ran out of love. And if you ran out of love, if you ran out of joy, guess what? You are now involved in a joyless marriage. Do you want to be known in the community as one who has a joyless marriage? Not me. Do I? (laughs) So now here's what happens. I want to explain to you about this because this is very interesting, but it's a sign, okay? When you go to a wedding and you were to walk into the entrance where the wedding celebration is going to be taken, you're going to see some jars, and they're called ritual purification jars. The Bible tells us that in this story there were six of them. The Bible tells us they held from 30 to 50 gallons of water. Here's what you need to understand. When you walked into this wedding, you needed to be ceremonially clean. And so the way that you would become ceremonially clean is that the lowest servant would take water from those jars and they would pour it over your hands and your feet. Listen very carefully now. Moving water was called living water. You're going to need that down the road. Moving water was called living water. And so when they would pull this water out and you would wash your hands and your feet, you would become ceremonially clean and you could go into the wedding. Well, what were they doing when you make, to make you ceremonially clean? Here's what they were doing. They were washing away the impurities. 
Now watch what happens. So the Bible tells us that we can assume, according to the Scriptures, that if there were, if there were six of these and there were 50 gallons, so there's 300 gallons of water there, right? Now here's what I want you to know. If you take an average bottle of wine and you divide it into those 300 gallons of, of water, you know how much wine Jesus produced? Over 800 bottles. That's a lot of wine, isn't it? So they ran out of wine. There was this big full pod that could happen, and Jesus' mother goes to him and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. Jesus says, well, woman, what's that my responsibility? She goes, do whatever he says. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, you go fill those jars to the brim with water. And then what happens? That water changed to wine. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus now sets a new standard for purification. You see, what Jesus was saying is this. People, when you come into a home and you go through the rites of being ceremonial clean, you know what? You wash your hands, but guess what? You're going to get dirty again. And so the system that you're using right now, you're going to have to wash over and over and over and over and over again as long as you live. But what did Jesus do? Jesus turns the water into wine, and the wine represents his blood. What Jesus is saying now is this, where you had to do your ceremonially cleansing over and over again, my, my blood will be offered one time, and it will make all of you pure. It will, make, it will remove all of your impurities from your life simply because of my gift of giving my blood in your place. And John says, that's a sign because what Jesus did, that supernatural of changing water to wine, is pointing to something farther down the road that is very significant, right? Now think about this. Why so much wine? 800 bottles? Are you kidding me? And here's the answer to that. If wine represented joy, you could never measure the amount of joy that we receive because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, right? There's no amount that you could measure. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, there's one other thing he did here that I think is awesome for this family. This family who could have been embarrassed and shamed, but what did Jesus do? Jesus raised them in the view of the rest of the people and the community. Why? Because what did he do? He set a whole new standard for reciprocal hospitality. Man, did you see what happens at the Beckler's wedding? They went above and beyond. Now we've all got to raise our bar so that we can reciprocate what they did at their wedding. Jesus honored this family by doing that miracle, that sign. All right. Now, we're through that story. Now we come to John chapter 3, and now we're going to be introduced to Jerusalem's finest. Let me introduce you to him. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus, how many of you have heard of him before? He's not just a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Okay, they were, he's part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council. In those days, there was the Pharisees, and they were the Sanhedrin, or the, the, uh, the Sadducees, and they formed that leadership body. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. 
That's why they're sad, you see, okay? That's how you can remember that, okay? But the Pharisees did, and guess what? Nicodemus was the best of the best in that Pharisee sect. And what happens, if you remember, in this part of the, of the, of the Scripture, in this part of John's Gospel, John is baptizing. What was his message? John's message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, and then they were baptized. And so what happened was, is when the common people came out and they heard John preach this message of repentance, you know what they thought? They thought, I must not be right with God, and they were right. John was telling them, you're not right with God, and I'm going to show you how to get right with God. You repent of your sin, you change your mind, the way you live, you go in a different direction, and you're baptized. But when the Pharisees heard that, fell on deaf ears. You know why? Because they didn't think they needed to get right with God. And the reason that Nicodemus didn't think he needed to get right with God is because he already thought he was right with God. And here's how he thought that. Number one, he exercised scrupulous behavior. He followed the law to the letter. The second thing that he did is he participated in ritual baths when he was ceremonially unclean. And then the third thing that he did is he participated in the temple offerings and the sacrifices. You see, Nicodemus believed that the system that was in place from the Old Testament imputed forgiveness and righteousness to him. But the problem was is this. Nicodemus thought that the way you get right with God is by doing it man's way. And Jesus now is having a conversation with him, and he says, no, if you're going to do it the right way, then you have to do it God's way. Now watch what happens here. He came to Jesus at night. Now, when you think about that, do you ever ask, why did, why did he come at night? Was he afraid? Maybe he didn't want his buddies to know that he was out hanging out with Jesus? I don't know. But one thing that I do know is that when it says he came at night, it's because night describes the soul and the heart of Nicodemus. It was black. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the, there's that word that John likes, signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What's Jesus saying? Here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're the best of the best, right? You've even told me so. And Nicodemus, here's the thing I know. I know you're a learned man. I know you know the scriptures. In fact, Nicodemus, I'll bet you've memorized all the scriptures. But you know what your problem is? You can't recognize the kingdom of God when it's standing in front of you, Nicodemus. And you know why? Because you're spiritually blind, but not only are you spiritually blind, you are spiritually dead. Now look at how Nicodemus responds. How can this be? He doesn't have a clue. And look at what Jesus says to him. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what did Jesus just say to Nicodemus? He goes, Nicodemus, I know you're looking for Messiah, 
But what you're looking for is you're looking for the peace, you're looking for the prosperity, and you're looking for the social justice. That's not how he's coming. You know what? You need to understand something. This Messiah that you say you know the Scripture so well where he's revealed in there, you think he's coming just for the Jews. But here's what I'm here to tell you. No, he didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the whole world. How do you know? What did it say? For God so loved the world. Now I'm going to go back to John chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he came for the whole world, and he had an appointment with a woman who was not a Jew. Now I want to stop for a second, and I want to ask you a question. Who does Jesus have an appointment with in your life? Who is it that you have an appointment with that Jesus wants to communicate to them through you? Can I be so bold to say to you, where is it that Jesus wants you to go that you're afraid to go? because he's looking for an instrument to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the questions that I want to just close with now is this. So what was the issue between the Jews and the Samaritans? They hated each other. The Jews called them dogs. They called them half-breeds. They didn't like them. They wouldn't be in the same room with them. They wouldn't go into their house. Even later on in the New Testament, after Jesus ascended, boy, there's, there's some issues there that the apostles have to work through, but they get it right through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal is that, you know what? A lot of times these Jews would even walk around Samaria because they didn't want to step foot in this polluted people's nation. In 722 B.C., when the Assyrian army came in and they conquered the world, they took over the northern kingdom. Remember in the Old Testament, Jeroboam, when Rehoboam, Jeroboam was the king over the northern kingdom. These were the 10 tribes. And you know what? The Assyrians came in and they overtook them. Now, this is what they did in those days when they overtook a community or a nation. They didn't just kill everybody. They took people and they moved them to another part in the world. And then they came in and brought other people and they planted them in that nation where you used to live. Because here's what their thinking was. If I can take you out of your home, I can take the nation out of your heart. That's what their belief was. If I can get you out of your home, I can take the nation out of your heart. Your loyalty, your patriotism, all that kind of stuff. I can remove all of that. And so that's what happened. And so these Jews that remained, they intermarried with these other people, and they formed a new nation. They were half-breeds. But here's why the Jews were so mad at them. They no longer had the true bloodline to the Messiah. And so the Jews hated them. And the Samaritans hated the Jews. The Samaritans thought that you were supposed to, to worship in, in, in Samaria, and the Jews says, no, you worship at Jerusalem. Remember the story of Nehemiah when he went back to rebuild the temple? The guys Sanballat and Tobias, remember those guys? They were, all from, they were all from Samaria. They were Samaritans. And they hated them. All right. 
So here we have this story now where Jesus, this Jew, he's from the Jewish nation, right? And he now goes into Samaria to a people that he's supposed to hate because he's a Jew. And he has an interaction, not just with a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Men didn't talk to women, and especially a Samaritan. So I'm thinking about this, and I want to close with this. We have an election coming up. We're a pretty divided nation, aren't we? You know what? If I'm really honest with you, it's simmering just below the surface in all of our lives. That's the truth, isn't it? I could say one or two words, and we could start a riot in here. Here's what I want you to learn from this story. Since the beginning of time, God has had a plan for your life. And as he has called you and shown you grace and mercy and love, he now expects you and I to take that grace, that mercy, and love and to share that with everyone and anyone. And my dear friends in Christ, you and I don't get to pick who we go and share it with. Who is it in your life right now that the Lord wants you to go to? They don't think like you do. They don't act like you do. They don't believe like you do. And God's saying, who will go? Are you willing to raise your hand and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. My prayer for us this week is this. I'm praying that you would get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, who is it since the beginning of time that you have put on my heart that I'm supposed to go to and be Jesus? And it doesn't mean you have to do it this week because in the next several weeks, Jesus is going to teach us exactly how we're supposed to do it, okay? You're going to learn exactly how we're supposed to do it. But here's what it begins with. It begins with you and I on our knees, humbling ourselves before God and just saying, I'll go. It may be someone in your class. It may be somebody that has betrayed you and treated you horribly. It may be somebody from another school. It may be somebody at work. It may be somebody, obviously, that you don't like or someone you don't see the way they do. Just ask God, God, who is it that you want to go? And then just simply tell him this. Whoever it is and wherever it is, I'll go. And I want you to remember something that we learned from our last series. God will give you the strength for the moment, but not until the moment arrives. If we would do this, God would open the doors to all kinds of things. But we have to step out in faith. So who will go? Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the example and the witness that Jesus gives us. He went to Samaria. (laughs) 
That blows my mind. Oh, the people had to be so furious with him, but he didn't care because he only had one agenda, and that was to demonstrate the heart of his heavenly Father. I'm so thankful for that because if Jesus wouldn't have gone to Samaria, if he wouldn't have gone and and demonstrated that he came, not just for the Jews, but the rest of the world, I would be here today. So now, Lord, you've given me the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know my future is secure. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. And I have that peace and that hope that I live with all through the day and all through my life. But I know, Lord, because I can feel the prick on my heart that there's someone else that I'm supposed to go to. There's someone else that I'm supposed to demonstrate the love of Jesus to. And when I think about that Samaritan woman, the very first thing Jesus did, he didn't preach truth. He gave her value and he gave her dignity. Help me, Father. Help me, Holy Spirit, to be that to those that you've called me. Thank you for what you're going to do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand? And I want to dismiss you with the blessing. I can tell you're excited about this, aren't you? (laughs) Just remember, God loves you. And he's not going to give you anything that you can't do on your own. But he's going to give you something that you're going to have, it's going to require faith. And all he wants you to do is be obedient and step out in faith, and he'll give you everything you need. And here's the proof. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his strength. Now go into the world, into your Samaria, and be the light of Jesus. God bless you. We'll see you next week.